In our concluding message in this series, we listen to three business leaders share from their real-world experience on corporate leadership, growing an organization, and entrepreneurship in practice. We then close with a brief word of encouragement on workplace transformation. Series, and we're going to do something very different. I've asked three business leaders, we've requested three business leaders from our congregation, and the many people here who, uh, whom God has um, raised up in the marketplace, who are doing really well, and, 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 and you know, holding up the name of the Lord Jesus in the marketplace, so it's really wonderful. Uh, but I've just uh, invited three of our three business leaders in our church to take 10 minutes each, so it's not being fair to them because they actually have a lot to say, uh, but I said only 10 minutes each. Right, uh, and so in 10 minutes, uh, we said, uh, could you please share with us some practical things? I'm sure they can talk for many hours, but share some things that, that will help us. You know, we've heard principles from the words. Now speak to us from the marketplace, from the, your world of experience uh, on different things. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to introduce these three speakers, then I will move away, and each one will come in turn and just speak to us for 10 minutes. Is that okay? Right? So I'm going to introduce all three of them first, and then I'll get off the stage, all right? Uh, the first person who will be speaking to us is uh, Bichu Korean. Uh, uh, he'll be speaking to us on corporate leadership. Just a little bit about Bichu. He, was, uh, he is an alumnus of uh, RI Jamshedpur. Uh, he started out uh, at Hindustan uh, Unilever, and then he spent 19 years uh, at Titan Industries, uh, the life, uh, lifestyle comp company, where he was the uh, chief operating officer. And then he became part of uh, uh, Mukesh Ambani's Reliance Retail. He was a chief executive and president of uh, Reliance Retail Lifestyle uh, for, for a significant period of time. Uh, so he's going to speak to us this morning on corporate leadership. After that, Anand Matthew will come and he will speak to us on growing an organization. Uh, Anand Matthew is a CEO uh, of uh, the Global Shared fin Services at Flat World Solutions. Uh, he began initially as a, uh, at uh, Star Communications as a vice president and creative director. He spent, he has over 15 years of experience in marketing and uh, the advertising industry, plus 10 years or more uh, in the uh, ITES uh, sector. Uh, he is, by training, a mechanical engineer, and he's served as a, a senior management. And he's really, in, he was really involved in building Flatworld. I, I knew them many years ago, I think. Uh, back in early 2000, and then I've seen that company grow, and, and uh, he's part of one of the, uh, is one of those management, uh, the senior management there to see this whole thing happen. After Anand uh, finishes, we will have Anand Daniel speak to us. Uh, he's going to speak to us on entrepreneurship and practice. Now, um, Anand, uh, Anand uh, he uh, has done his master's in electrical engineering from Purdue University, he, and then he did an MBA from uh, the MIT Sloan School of Management. Uh, as uh, right now, and he, he spent several years um, working for uh, different uh, technology companies, and he's at the moment uh, a principal at a venture capital firm, Axel Partners, right here in Bangalore, and he focuses on uh, investments in healthcare, education, and information technology. And uh, he'll be talking to us uh, uh, several things from his own uh, personal ex uh, uh, experience as well in the marketplace. All right? so. Biju, you're welcome. Let's put our hands together and uh, welcome Biju. I see he's, he's injured himself a bit, but I hope uh, it's okay for him to speak uh, this morning. Morning, Church. Uh, thank you, Pastor Ashish, for, this, uh, for the invitation to speak on the theme of, of timeless principles of, uh, at the workplace. Uh, and what I'd like to do is to try and share with you some of the experiences that I have had in a little over three decades in corporate India. So some of this might seem a bit theoretical, some of it might seem too practical. Take what you can out of it and uh, hopefully it will leave some meaning as far as all of you all are concerned. Uh, the first thing that I'd like to talk about is talk about who is a leader. And when we talk about corporate leadership, we always wonder what does leadership in corporate India mean? 
And when we look at who's a leader, some leaders, people say leaders are born, leaders are made. Uh, if you are born in a family like the Ambani's or the Birla's, then obviously you're born as a leader because it comes naturally to you. Some people attain leadership. Some people in politics become very popular and then they become leaders of political parties. Uh, there are people who are in the scientific field who become leaders because they've attained or gained knowledge and their knowledge has then helped them to become leaders of respective organizations. But truly speaking, if you look at who a leader is, a leader is somebody who actually has a sphere of influence, somebody who's able to make things happen, somebody who's able to make sure that if he or she speaks, then there are people who will listen. Somebody who's able to meet you eye to eye and make sure that they leave an impact when they move away. And when you truly look at that definition of leadership, what you do realize is that leaders are no longer by designation. You don't have to be a president or a CEO. You don't have to be director general of the NCAER. But each of us can be leaders in our own little way. So if my wife Sheila is in the kitchen, she's obviously the leader of the kitchen, and that is something that I truly respect. And in her own way, she makes sure that there is an influence that she has over those who support her, over those who help her in the house. And similarly, when we look at each of ourselves and look at the roles that we play in, in our own work or in our own lives, we realize that all of us have leadership qualities. So don't for a moment think that leadership is the prerogative of somebody who's got a designation. It is everybody's prerogative. The second thing is that when we look at leaders, we also look at corporations. And when we talk about corporate leadership, we try and understand what a corporation is. Now, when we look at a corporation, a corporation is actually what we might loosely define as a company. And what is a company? A company, a large number of them are actually those which have been set up to produce a profit. Some of them could be non-profit companies because they are dedicated to a cause or to a community. But then every company is based on systems. And when we look at systems, Systems are the ways in which companies are run. And when we look at the ways in which companies are run, over time, what you do realize is that these ways in which companies are run evolve to become what we call as culture. And then when we look at what we call as culture, and we loosely define it as corporate culture, what we then realize is that there are certain values which develop in corporate culture. And when we look at these values, what are these values? Values are what we might define as immeasurable things. But in reality, what it tends to be are the ways in which the employee's behavior will get measured against what they call as the corporate culture. And this is the way that you're expected to behave, you're expected to do things, the way you're expected to perform, or the, the way in which you demonstrate behavior to the outside world. So when we look at these values and we look at these cultures, and then when we look at ourselves and say that, okay, as leaders, what do we do? What we do also realize that as each of us as leaders also tend to have certain behaviors. Each of us also have our own set of values. Each of us in some senses of the way also portray a certain attitude. And because of which, what we need to do as individuals is to try and figure out how we actually fit into what we define as the corporate culture. So when we look at corporate leadership, the challenge is in terms of trying to figure out how do we fit the sphere of influence that we as leaders have in the context of the corporate, which by itself has its own culture, his own values and his own way of doing things. 
Now, when we reflect on this and we say that, okay, fine, if you look at the essence of a corporation, what is the basic essence of a corporation? And that is about making profit. And when we look at a corporation making profit, as a non-Christian leader, it's quite simple for us. If you're a non-Christian, you know that you're focused on making profit and the challenge is about making sure that you fit your values against the motto of making profit. But as Christian leaders, what happens is that there are certain Christian principles and certain Christian values that we hold dear. And those Christian principles and values that we hold dear have to then get measured against the motto of making profit. And then when we look at it, there, are another, there is another layer of complexity which gets introduced. And that layer of complexity comes in the way of how we interact with our employees. Are we going to be fair to them? So if there is a downturn in the industry, how do we make sure that as Christian leaders, we manage that downturn with our employees? If there is a need to drive greater margins, as Christian leaders, how do we then negotiate with our suppliers? If there is a need to produce something at a certain location, how do we as Christian leaders make sure that we manage the environmental impact? And all of this in the context of actually producing profit for the stakeholders. So as Christian leaders, what tends to happen is that the equation becomes a little more complex because then there is another layer of things and when measured against Christian principles and Christian values, there is that additional challenge that all of us face as Christian leaders. The other thing that we need to remember is that all employees are measured by their individual behaviors and compared against what the corporation expects from them. So in terms of performance, most of the employees are measured saying that, okay, fine, this is your target for the year. This is the way you've progressed against your target. This is how much you've achieved. And there is, you know, at that same point of time that somebody else has gained a step ahead of you because they've done something which your principles or your values don't allow you to do. So at that point of time, you are in a quandary because you're questioning yourself. You're wondering, have I done the right thing by following my Christian values or have I done the wrong thing to the organization by actually following it? And I think when we start understanding the complexity of those decisions in terms of what is good for me versus what is good for the organization and by what compass should I perform versus what the organization expects from me and how am I going to be measured in the context of my peer group is when we all have to turn to God. Because I don't think any of us have an answer. So when we look at how organizations function and the performance ethic that organizations typically display, what we do realize then is that we don't have all the answers. So when we have our worries and we have our problems and we come across these situations where we've got to figure out what do I do next? There are people you can turn around to and ask. But on the other hand, there is also the God that we can turn around to. And our God is a God who always provides for us. So what you might sometimes lose at some stage and might seem as a loss to you is certainly in the long run something that will benefit you. The other thing is that leadership is based on relationships. And we know that relationships lend to communication. Communication lends to the ability that you have to be able to persuade somebody. And we all know that the art of persuasion is extremely critical in getting people to come along your way. So when you looked at, you know, if you remember Pastor Ashish talking uh, last Sunday and even the Sunday before that about vision and mission and values, what you do realize is that all of us as leaders have to set out on a mission. And when you set out on a mission, that mission has to have some vision in your mind. So if Moses had a vision that he was going to be taking people for 40 years through the desert to get them to the promised land, each of us in our own way 
has got a certain vision. So when I remember when we started out in Titan, at that point of time, and since it is the day, I mean, the time that we started, the vision that we had was that how do we convert a functional wristwatch into a fashion accessory? And it is a very simple vision that we had. Of course, when you translated that in terms of detailing and in terms of plans and strategies, what you do realize is that there were many things that had to be done in order to be able to deliver on that vision. But a lot of the people actually joined the company not for the salary, not for the fact that they're going to be designated as X or Y or Z, but they joined for the simple fact that they are actually going to be chasing a vision which to them seemed like a superordinate goal. Similarly, when we started in Reliance Retail, I still remember one word, that mis one phrase that Mr. Ambani used, and which is, he said, Biju, we must transform the way Indians shop. And it is a very simple thing. It wasn't about the fact that you've got to hit a turnover. All of that came much later, because once you joined up on the basis that you've got to transform the way Indians shop, then came the hard reality of Mr. Ambani, which is that we've got to achieve X thousand crores by X number of years, and we've got to do it at these costs, and we've got to make these profits. But all of that actually stemmed from a vision that you had an opportunity to actually take part in something which was much larger than just a job. So in many cases, when you look at leadership and when we look at the relationship and the communication that we build around these relationships, we do realize that a lot of these relationships and the communication actually stems from a much larger vision that you can create for the people who are going to be following you. Each of us has got our own calling. You know, some of us have had the opportunities to be able to lead corporations. Some of us had the opportunities to be able to lead companies. Some of us had the opportunities to be able to lead teams. But in some senses of the word, each of us has got our own calling. And this is a calling that has been entrusted to us by God. And we've reflected in the past on this concept of stewardship. And we all understand very clearly that stewardship is a responsibility that we have. So when we think of stewards, who do we think of? Typically, you'll think of, let's say, the Bangalore Turf Club has got stewards. What does a steward in the Bangalore Turf Club do? A steward in the Bangalore Turf Club is responsible to make sure that the turf club is run, managed well, is responsible to make sure that a whole bunch of races happen during a season, is responsible to make sure that rules are followed, and responsible to make sure that the conduct of the club is managed well. Now, when you look at ourselves as stewards, and ourselves as stewards of God, who are responsible for the activities that have been entrusted to us. We have to make sure that in everything that we do, faith shows through. We cannot at any point of time believe that any action of ours is going to be something that anybody else who sees is going to turn around and say that I would not have expected that of a Christian. So in everything that we do, we need to re remember that our Christian faith has to show through in every decision that we take, in every action that we undertake, and in all the activities and the way we conduct ourselves has to be beyond reproach. Many of us believe that faith is something which has to be practiced only on Sundays. And the moment that we go out of this church, and it sometimes translates at the time when we are taking our cars out of that narrow passage next to the auditorium and we are fighting with the fellow travelers on the road in order to get some space to go out, then we realize that, you know, we, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. And we say that God is somebody whom we will adore on a Sunday, but then when it comes to Monday to Saturday, it's somebody that we ignore. But faith and our adoration of God is something that has to start and remain in our lives throughout the week 
And that is the reason why we cannot divorce the workplace from our faith. And all the things that we do in the workplace is a reflection of what we are as a Christian and the faith that we exude. And we need to remember that that crossover between what we do as Christians in church, what we do as Christians at home, and what we do as Christians in the workplace and in public life, there cannot be any change which is seemingly different. It has to be a seamless crossover from, from in our lives, from the church, to the workplace, to our homes, and to our public lives. So thank you very much, church, for patiently listening to me. And may God bless all of us in our Christian lives. Good morning, church. Okay, I stand here in testimony to what God has done. It's in the pews of this very same church a decade ago that uh, the owners of Flatwell actually sat down and said, let's all join together and run a business. And 10 years hence, one of us is standing here trying to tell all of you how to grow an organization. And truly, God has been faithful from about 20, 25 people in 2005 to about 1,000 direct employees that we have today. It's been a journey where he's used half-baked vessels like us to lead a company of this size. So what I'm presenting to you today would be uh, a statement that God sustains us uh, in spite of our shortcomings, our failures, uh, as long as we hold on to him uh, and stay true. One of the first things that we'd like to, I'd like to speak about is the, that intent versus our content. Mediocrity, however well packaged, can be seen through by our, by our investors. You know, you can, you can have malice, greed, uh, and, and however well you polish it to your employees, to your vendors, it can be seen through. We've seen this all across the decade. The moment we say something genuine, the moment our intent is seen, uh, we've seen miracles happen. Banks grant you loans, employees who would not join you, join you. Uh, I mean, and so we've learned, and this is what I speak to many people and say, integrity is something that cannot be hung as a, on your notice board. It has to be seen the way you run your business. Uh, most bosses generally get roasted for their boasts. You know, we can do this, and in three years, I'll do this for you. In five years, we will do this, but let's be careful. I mean, there's one thing of wanting to do, and there's another thing of promising. I just uh, read a news of a young man, 22-year-old man, just getting a few million dollars as funding. He just has about five, 10 people with him. Ever wondered why? The investors have seen intent. He's, I mean, he walked into the funding meeting with a large backpack. Most of you know whom I'm talking about. And they asked him, what are you doing? He said, I carry all my, all my belongings. This is the only bag that I have. And that, I think it's, it's a company called OYO. So people invest their time, their resources, their money on you and your company. And if your intent is not true, I think it just, it just shows. Can we have? The other thing that comes for a startup or a company in different stages is, where is the money? Show me the money, honey. I, I just try to make it more decent, okay? Uh, is to identify a source of business. As a company, when we started, we realized that uh, internet marketing would be the way we generate our business. So many people invest a lot of money in, in infrastructure and in, in seats and uh, missionary, and then finally decide, okay, I'm not getting any business. But I think the first calling is where is your money? Where is your money coming from? Personally drive sales. Personally meet customers. Personally be that interaction point at various stages. When you start up, you would close $10,000 worth of business. 10 years down the line, you will be closing a million dollars worth of business. But for all of that, they have to see the leadership be part of the sales process. Know what your competition is doing because that's a good prayer point to start off with. 
we've heard of stories it may be good but i don't watch for it that companies take a lot of money and bleed for the five five or six years just to, to gain market share it may be the beginning of a bubble but for for a, a company that's running on christian values i think uh, there has to be a season of debt you can take money but you always need to know that we need to come out of the red and that's how we run have godly pride in running a profitable company we've had cases where we went against the advice of a few auditors and declared what we actually earned uh, and ended up paying taxes but 6 months down the line we cleared uh, rfq because we had a reasonable amount of profit shown in our returns so it was a classic case for us saying you stay true on one side god will benefit you on the other there are people challenges when we run a business clients can be unreasonable there was a season when we also had a very large amount outstanding it could have actually sunk us but we held on and god was faithful partners and investors can play truant there are i've heard of many stories where uh, partners ditch i mean you sign up an agreement that you'll work together and two years down the line you vanish with all your profits employees can make life hard for you you hire them with good faith they steal your ip or they steal your uh, what do you do and then the whole host of people who work with you can play truant and these are some of the things we have learned over the last 10 years some we have tripped we've made mistakes but this is what we've done uh, we need to preempt everything with watertight agreements pastor will have a chapter and verse for that i couldn't find it but i'm sure there would be one okay uh, and do proper research you hiring a senior person research him on linkedin do a background check you're going to sign up with the customer see what he is doing and try to be reasonable whenever there's a dispute because you end up in any court it's going to take a long time and god will vindicate you if your heart is in the right place we've had a, a partner of ours who walked away with a million dollars annual business we wanted we i actually wanted to physically catch him but then we said let it be and 5 years hence god rewarded us 20x and that same person is approaching us back to do business with us you see we need not pray for the downfall of the guy who's hurt us in business god will show it back in your balance sheet and we as whenever we're trying to grow an organization we need to learn to work with what we have when you're a startup uh, you may have to serve your coffee you may have to xerox your own stuff uh, you may have uh, people who are not Uh, the iams with due respect to the iams uh, but work with whom whom you have many of our leaders in in our organization are people who have come up the rank and they are as good as and and will battle dollar for dollar with anybody treat customers also without their dollar value being a point of reference we've had 100 200 dollars customers in 2000 i mean yeah 2008 today offering us half a million dollars worth of business it's because we offer the same kind of respect the same the same uh, uh, response that we do whenever we have austerity bootstrapping let me tell you even today all my partners are in different parts of the world but i still cherish that first year in 2005 6 and 7 when all of us were sitting in one room bootstrapping is a season enjoy it because very soon god is going to bless you and all of you would have enough to to celebrate process is something that's quite important when you grow you delegate to a few more people but what if you start growing wider not physically i mean wider so uh, you will need to um, start uh, ensuring processes take care of your 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 everything you know, from sales to finance to whatever uh, it basically saves costs brings you efficiency there's one challenge that i always face at the end of the month and i ask my team how do you know that you have bill for all the work that we've done and sometimes they look at me blank i think we've bill for everything that we've done so it's process that will save us from this trouble 
And across a garage company to a billion dollar company, there's only two things that stays the same, passion and vision. Everything else has a flowchart. Something starts and something ends. And there's a huge process in between. This is a session by itself. I'm moving on. There is personal evolution. We need to unlearn, we need to unbox. And we need to move to uncharted areas. I was 15 years in advertising and marketing. I knew nothing about the field that I was getting into. This was actually a step in faith. But God has been kind and it's been 10 years. My partners moved geographies in faith to a land where they didn't even know the language. But God was faithful. He moved them there and things improved. Our experience is only a mirror. We just need to see how do, how do we look and what, what happened. It can't be a GPS. Because we did this in 2008, we can do that in 2016. No. Today's season is different. Boss is not always right. You can say an amen. <laughs> and we need to uh, pray for the, that we have, get wisdom to comprehend the winds of change. You know, uh, markets change, uh, clients change, geographies change, currencies change. Imagine a company like us, if the dollar drops 20 rupees, we're kind of back to bootstrapping. So things change, and unless we realize and pray for it, uh, our organization will not change. Find a few good men slash women. <clears throat> Lonely battles are more difficult. Uh, you need to have peers, mentors, soldiers, generals, all aligned in one vision. At the top, it pays to have people with you. We work together, iron sharpens iron, sparks fly, we disagree, but at the end of it all, we know one backs up for the other. Key positions need special oversight. You can't have an incompetent person leading finance because you're going to get in trouble with the tax authorities. You, need, you can't have a person who doesn't know the cutting edge of technology because the world will swamp you. Another important thing is reach out to foot soldiers. The more we start going up the ladder and you have many people under you, we tend to just speak to the level below us. Speak to the guys on, on the floor on the, who, who are doing the operations. You'll get a lot of information. And when possible, I mean, I've been blessed with that, be yoked with people with the same vision. Because when you run a business and your values and the company's values and their values don't match, it's not going to last long. Detached ownership. This is the most important part. You are, I am, but a wisp of air. This is the reality in the biggest boardroom. Doesn't matter how many billion dollars you have. Leadership and ownership is for a season. Everyone has to let go, sometimes by force, sometimes willingly. And we lead only as stewards, like Biju was saying. Remember one thing, there is one Lord who got us here. And he will decide if we got to be here or we got to move on. And we must allow him to do that. And even as we run our companies and we lead, let me leave you with this promise which I continue to hold. I mean, pastor sent this to me on my birthday in 2006. I think he would have forgotten it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor. And thank God for uh, getting me here. Actually, literally. I was in Beijing yesterday, China. Um, I was about to get to, my, uh, get to the airport, and uh, I checked two, three times. They said it'll take one hour to one hour, 15 minutes to get to the airport. Right? So I left well in advance. Got, in the, got into the taxi, me and my colleague, and we were going on the way. Then Beijing traffic showed me that Bangalore is a blast. So Bangalore is so smooth, right? So this, this taxi driver takes every route possible, and there's cars as, as far as I can see and not moving. So it's 37 kilometers to the airport. They said one hour, one hour, 15 minutes. One hour happens, one hour, 15 happens, I've moved five, six kilometers. Right, so when my colleague starts calling uh, our travel agent saying, when's the next flight? So I, I, I said a short prayer, God, if it's your will that I get on this flight, please make it happen. I don't know how it happened, but 40, 47 minutes left to the flight, we got, a, if it was 45, 43, they wouldn't have let us board. So 
just made it right on time, so thank God for being here, literally, right? So I'm going to talk about entrepreneurship, um, why it matters, why entrepreneurship matters, why startups matter. I've been uh, fortunate to work with brilliant entrepreneurs, both in the US and in India as a venture capital investor. Uh, so we are entrepreneurs in our own, own right because we go and raise funds from other people, foundations and others, and then we deploy it in startups. Um, and we'll talk about some, some of the successful startups, right? Not necessarily from uh, that I've worked with, but successful startups across the globe and including India. Then what are the common themes that I've seen in these entrepreneurs? What, what, is, what are some of the high level observations of entrepreneurs like Anand, uh, you heard from before, that have made them successful? And finally, what are the challenges uh, for entrepreneurs in general and for Christian entrepreneurs? So that's what we're going to cover, right? So first slide, why do startups matter, right? So this is an important question you might ask. Uh, why, is it a, why is it a big thing? Everyday Times of India, any newspaper we open talk, talks about startups and entrepreneurship of late. That's the flavor of the season. Leaving that aside, there's a big impact startups create across the globe. I was just doing some research out of the top five companies in the world, among the millions of companies out there, the top three were recently started startups. When I say recent, it's I'm going 20, 30 years, but in the startup world, that's recent enough as compared to companies that have lived or, or have been there for hundreds of years, right? So the impact that a startup creates is, is amazing. It, it touches so many li lives. We'll talk about a few examples in the subsequent slides. Next, is, next comes the learning. You heard from Biju in the corporate setting where, um, where he talked about how they started the Titan brand. And you heard from Anand. The learning that comes from being an entrepreneur as a founder is amazing. Um, and and you, you learn so much across different verticals that no other job can provide you that. And, and finally, wealth creation. And I'm not talking only for yourself, but for the whole ecosystem. We'll talk about that also uh, in the subsequent slides. So these are the reasons why I believe startups matter quite a bit, right? So let's move on to the next. So just look at a few examples of uh, some what I call famous entrepreneurs or companies. You might have heard of many of them, right? So the first one um, on the left, uh, Standard Oil, was started by a strong Christian believer called John Rockefeller. Um, he worked for seven, uh, 70 years, right? The first 30 years, he worked in business, in, in, in a startup, in Standard Oil. It was the first company, he, uh, he got 90% market share in oil in the US, right, and in America, and he became one of the wealthiest people in America. In fact, by some measures, probably adjusted for inflation, he's considered the wealthiest person ever, till date, right? He worked for 30 years, and the next 40 years he gave. He started the Rockefeller Foundation that has contributed enormously to the field of medicine. Many Nobel laureates have come from that. Uh, universities, uh, University of Chicago was uh, seeded by him uh, in those days, right? And, and across different endowments, foundations, which still exist today, almost 100 years plus, enduring uh, entrepreneurship, right? And giving. And this is, people consider entrepreneurs just as greedy people who create wealth just for themselves. But that's just the beginning. The impact you can have is tremendous once you've created that wealth. Second is Bill Gates. I mean, most of us uh, know of him as Microsoft founder, which he, he was the founder of, and he's done tremendously well there. But he's started, crea he's created the Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is the largest nonprofit foundation in the world. And, and it's, it's impacting global health, including in India and many parts of the world, education, and again, so many areas. He wants to bring to giving the same rigor that he applied to business. Right, so that's another another thing that Gates has done is this thing called giving pledge. So he's gone to all his billionaire buddies and said, Man, "You you have too much money for yourself. Give half your wealth away or more." And he's convinced, I think, north of 100 people, all billionaires, they have one, they've they donated 150 billion dollars, right? And this this is one guy's vision that why why do I need all this wealth? Why can't we give it away? Um, another guy, I'm just back from China, so I had to include a China example. Alibaba, this, is prob this company went uh, one of the largest IPOs ever recently. This company was started by a school teacher when he came, went back uh, and, and he was a school teacher and 
taught, taught himself the internet. He, hasn't seen, he hadn't seen a computer, has never coded a line in his life. But this is the largest um, group of companies uh, in internet, from business, commerce, globally, which is Alibaba, to Taobao, which is the largest e-commerce site in, in, uh, in China, to Alipay, which is um, payment platform. Using that pl platform, hundreds of startups have been built. They use Alipay for their payments. And, and so on, express everything. The whole group put together probably touches uh, 200, 300 million lives, Chinese lives on a daily basis, and, and has created millions of jobs, directly and indirectly. And coming more closer to home, Nandan, who many of you might know uh, of, started Infosys, and he had a very successful run there. But after that, he's, he's, he had this vision of creating or, or, or helping create the Aadhaar card system. I know there are people for, against it, and whatever. Right? But at the net net, he's created 800, 900 million Aadhaar cards. 60 to 100 million people have been bought, brought to banking because of that. Right? So, and this is just the beginning. This is a very groundbreaking uh, innovation for India, getting almost all the people on a number system so that you know that who you're really dealing with. Right? EKYC is now going to be possible at a large scale. Thanks to Nandan for that. And more recently, we have uh, the young founders that Anand talked about the 25-year-olds with the backpack going and raising money uh, from, uh, from investors like ourselves. So these are guys who, in the next subsequent slides we'll talk about, have had large visions at a young age. And not only in India, but globally, young entrepreneurs, people just fresh out of college, are able to go with their passion, with their vision, create groundbreaking companies. Just these companies, Flipkart and Ola together, probably employ 50, 60,000, uh, sorry, 40, 50,000 people directly, and startups in general in, in India pro currently, in my estimate, uh, employ about a lakh plus people and will probably double or triple in the next five years. But more importantly, indirectly, they've created employment. Ola, for example, has uh, hundreds of thousands of cars. You've created uh, good employment for a lot of taxi drivers. Similarly, Flipkart has a whole delivery network itself as well as there are uh, networks, other networks that they work with. So that is, again, indirect employment. And all this leads to next level, next level, the, the economic benefits and uh, uh, the benefits of um, uh, touching these lives through entrepreneurship percolate on to lower, lower rungs of the system as well. So that's why I think when you think of entrepreneurship, it's not just the impact that you create for yourself, your employees, uh, maybe your co-founders and everyone your investors, but it's the employment and the impact that you create for the whole ecosystem that matter, right? So with that, uh, some, some traits of successful entrepreneurs, uh, I'm not saying these are the only traits, but these are common among most of the entrepreneurs uh, I've had the pleasure of working with, right? So most of them start out with a grand vision, vision that Pastor talked about. I want to touch millions of Indian lives. I want to... Um, cure preventable blindness. These are all companies I've worked with, right? So there's this grand vision, and, and entrepreneurs have the ability to take risks. We as Christians, I've seen that many a time, we don't want to take risks. We want to be safe, right? But entrepreneurship is all about taking risks, especially as uh, Christians with faith. Knowing that God is behind you, you can take those risks. Nothing is impossible for the God to do. So take those risks. Go out there. Be bold. But it's not just enough to have a vision and take risks. As Anand was touching upon, it's very important to realize that a team around you is very important. It's important to know what you're good at and what you're not good at, right? That's an important one. For many people, ego prevents us from realizing what we are not good at. It's important to ask yourself that and get complimentary, good, highly skilled people in your team. And then it's important to plan and execute. It's, I get, uh, on an average, we, I get to meet a few hundred startups on a yearly basis. Many of them have brilliant ideas, right? But what's important is to plan and execute on those ideas as well. Ideas won't take you. Vision is important, team is important, idea is important, but you'll have to plan and execute. And most importantly, persevere. Entrepreneurship is all about perseverance. It's, there's going to be so many knows you here, right? Knows from customers, knows from investors, knows from everyone. But it's important to persevere, knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? And then ability to deal with uncertainties. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this also in the subsequent slide. 
but entrepreneurship is all about will willingness to take risks and deal with a lot of uncertainties and being strong as a leader which biju touched upon you have to be strong for your employees if you show that you have doubts about the company then your your whole employee base is going to be doubtful so in spite of any uncertainties you'll have to be strong and finally the ability to manage finances be it from the bootstrap stage that anand talked about to when you've raised capital from someone else or when you've gone public and you're a big company it's important to manage the finances well and finally i want to touch about some of the challenges some on the material side and some on the moral side which we as christians need to think about um so we touched upon uncertainty uncertainties so some of the reasons why i've seen startups fail or these right these uh, six reasons so ability not to uh, work with changing market conditions you might have a business plan right most entrepreneurs i work with tell them great you've got a business plan you've got funding now throw it out the door let's work on the real company because your business plan changes almost on a monthly or a bi-monthly basis right so because of changing market conditions your competition might be doing something the market could have gone the neg negative way or the market might have be taking off very fast like india right now so how do you adjust for the market conditions team issues you've got a great team but how do you motivate and keep them together how do you deal with your co-founder right so if you take many um, great startups they've had just like uh, anyone in music bands anywhere you look the higher up you go the more ego kicks in and then you st start to think i'm the best right so that's that's the beginning of uh, your demise right as the proverb say um so it's very important to be careful with team issues deal with them early and to make sure you motivate and keep your team together and scaling issues you might as again anand touched upon this you might be a great startup founder right but the company has hit 1000 crores and maybe you want to bring a professional ceo in right maybe maybe not but these are all questions of letting go finding the right people it's not about ego or what's right for me but what's right for the company the employees and the whole ecosystem we talked about on the moral side these are even more important as christian uh, as believers right so treating your employees well the even the pastor touched upon it as simple as paying on time right giving your employees what you promised to give them to more complex things like there might be downturns and you might have to let go of a few people that's the market reality but how do you do it in a graceful way in a way that you're supportive of that person to transition into another role uh, complying with laws this is very important right so as christian believers we can't at any point try to cut cut across lines right when when there's a law related to anything from taxes to any kind of law it's important to be compliant with the law right uh, these are all biblical you can go back and search the bible you'll find biblical references and i have a few of these i can share later right you can go and if you have any doubts check against the bible and you'll know that you can't be breaking those laws and and most importantly on the financial issues no kind of uh, any anything that will that will bring bad name to you right financial ethical moral any of these issues that it 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 takes years to build up a great company and just one mistake to bring it all the way down like enron globally or here in india satyam not trying to point hands but if you go and study these companies some silly mistake right it's you could say i made a i made a small mistake doesn't matter the higher up you go the 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 steeper the fall so you have to be careful as christians be uh, very conscious of not making any of these mistakes uh, finally um, closing i want to um, leave you with uh, with the thought that india is going through a tremendous time right now i've been traveling to the us china everywhere and everyone's talking about india being the next frontier alibaba the company that i talked about earlier is spending a lot of time trying to invest in india so are many chinese companies so india has um 50% of the population below 25 years of age and that's a ripe age and the indian middle class is growing tremendously the smartphone and internet adoption is growing tremendously all these present amazing opportunities to create the next alibaba right uh, the next um, uh, google the next facebook whatever it is it's your vision you can dream of whatever vision and india now has the population the the demography the um, uh, the macro conditions as well as the supporting ecosystem be it investors or mentors everything available 
it's up to us as Christian leaders to go pray hard, find a vision, something that can create a lot of value, not just for you, but for the whole ecosystem and touch millions of life. So this is a verse I go to very often. Uh, God has promised that I will go before you and will level the mountains. I'll break through gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. God will break through gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron for us. We just have to believe he's going to level mountains for us and make us someone he's very proud of, someone and, and someone who touches millions of lives. With that uh, prayer and hope, I thank you all for this opportunity. All right, did you enjoy all that? Yeah, thank God. Uh, we're grateful to Biju, uh, Anand Matthew, Anand Daniel. Thank you for uh, taking time to uh, speak to us, uh, share with us. So we're going to get ready to close out this series, and we're going to go to the very last chapter. I'll finish it maybe in five minutes flat, uh, and then we'll dismiss. So let's go to um, the very last chapter, um, which is... Um, Marketplace transformation. Now, uh, why did we take all this time, you know, eight weeks, um, uh, to talk about all these principles from the Word of God? Why did we spend all this time for us uh, trying to learn these principles? Simply because at the end of all of this, you and I have been really commissioned by the Lord Jesus to bring about transformation in our worlds, especially the marketplace, because that's where you and I are spending most of our time. Most of our life is spent in the marketplace. And so I just want to close out this series as bringing us that challenge to go out into the marketplace, the workplace, and bring about transformation. Um, this is page 269. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the, uh, you are the light of the world. So let's say this together. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Jesus said so. <laughs> so we're not just making it up. You are salt. You are light. The Lord Jesus said so. That means we are out there in this world to make a difference. What good would salt be if you had a big container of it, you pour it into your whatever dish and it has no flavor? What good, what use would it be? But salt has influence. It has impact. So also light. You turn on the light, darkness flees. Darkness leaves. So God's called you and me to be salt, to be light out there in the marketplace. And this means that out there is, uh, in the marketplace, we are called, and I can just use this word, to initiate a culture shift, a change in, in culture, a change in thinking, a, a change in the way things are being done because we come to be salt and light, come to make a difference, let our light shine. And we do this by creating constructive change, page 270. Jesus said, you know, uh, the kingdom of God is like a little leaven, a little yeast that you put in, 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 a, in a, a big of, um, bowl of flour that you're about to make into dough, just a little bit, but it affects the entire lump of dough. And, and, and you and I are like that, the kingdom of God inside of us. He said, all it takes is a little bit of that and it can affect the entire environment. So that kingdom inside you, you may be the only person in your entire organization, but you've got the kingdom inside you. It's powerful enough to affect the entire leaven. Amen? And so initiate a culture shift, create constructive change. How are you going to bring about that? Bring, uh, bring about a culture shift by creating constructive change. So uh, as we've been talking through this entire series, we live by these principles. And, uh, you know, in places where, you know, people are hostile to each other, you come in and you demonstrate what it means to be loving. Uh, in places where uh, people are showing no mercy, you come and you show what it means to have mercy towards people. Or where people are being dishonest, you come in, you show what it means to walk in integrity and so on. So as, as you and I do these things, we are creating constructive change. 
We are really being salt and light. Amen? And be a transformational leader. And Jesus talked about these two kinds of leaders. Uh, of course, he was referring to himself when he said, I am the good shepherd. He talked about a, about a hired shepherd. Uh, the hired, a hired shepherd, he runs away for his own life when he sees danger coming. He abandons the sheep, meaning he's looking out only for himself. But the, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He's there for the sheep, not just for himself. And, he, and applying this to leadership, transformation leaders are looking at not what they can get, but what they can do for the people whom they are leading. They are bringing about transformation. Transform their lives, transform what's going on in them, lifting them up, uh, uh, raising them up to higher levels. So be that kind of a leader who will lift people up, do something for them as you're leading your organization and so on. And finally, I want to close with this, that we must demonstrate the kingdom of God in the workplace. Here in Acts 17, we look at Paul. Uh, he went to Athens, which was at that time a very important uh, city. And uh, he saw the entire city given over to idols. And, and out there in the marketplace, he spoke about the kingdom of God. So it wasn't inside, you know, the synagogue or church. I'm sure he did that. But in the marketplace, he spoke about the kingdom of God. We need people, you and I, to be out there in the marketplace, demonstrating living kingdom lives that, that people see. Uh, let's speak about the kingdom. Let's demonstrate the kingdom. And that's the journey we are making as a church. That we want to raise up a generation of people who will carry the kingdom of God into the marketplace. And demonstrate the, the kingdom of God in the marketplace. By the lives we live, by the power of God, through signs, wonders, healings, miracles, out there in the marketplace. Amen? That's what we are in a journey for. We're, we're moving into that pressing it. And we want to equip all of us, each one of us, saying, look, you, have a you are out there in the marketplace. You are actually on the front lines. Not the pastor necessarily. Not the preacher necessarily. But every believer is really on the front line of battle. You're, every day you're going out there, interacting and engaging with people. And that's when uh, we have opportunity to demonstrate the kingdom of God uh, in the marketplace. And that's the kind of people we want to raise up. Amen? So let's grow into it. Let's be that people who will demonstrate God's kingdom by living through the through living uh, these timeless principles, demonstrating uh, the power of God in the marketplace, making a difference. Let's rise to our feet, please. Call our worship team up here. For I know we are... Getting ready to close. But I would just encourage you to please take a few moments to pray. We've learned so much today by listening to uh, business leaders come and share from their own journeys. Would you pray for yourself and say, God, help me to make a difference for your kingdom, God. And maybe in a small way, maybe... Some of us God may use in some big ways, some significant ways. But God, help me to be the salt and this light that you said I should be. Help me, Lord, to be that little leaven that will just permeate the entire environment where you placed me. Help me to be a leader who will transform lives. And Lord, help me to demonstrate the kingdom in the marketplace. Would you just pray and say, God, let my life count for your kingdom out there in this world. Father, even as we stand here before you, we recognize there is destiny placed in every heart, in every life. There is purpose. There is divine purpose. There is calling. There is plan in every heart, every life here, God. Father, this morning, we are asking for the empowering of your Holy Spirit upon each and every person that we will step into that purpose, that dream, that destiny, and have impact on our world. That we will be salt, we will be light in this world. 
Father, by your spirit, I pray that destinies or dreams that may have been abandoned or laid aside today will be recovered, will be revived in people's lives, that hope will be restored, oh God. That today we will leave this place with a sense of purpose for the kingdom of God. However long we have to live, we will live it with purpose for you. But you've called us to be salt and light in this world. Help us to live with that purpose. Let heaven come. 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 Let heaven let heaven come, your presence, your power. Let heaven come, we reach out to you. Let heaven come in our hearts, in our lives. Let heaven come. Let heaven
Father, we just pray that through each of our lives, your kingdom will come and heaven come in our lives, through our lives. Let your kingdom come. To this, be glorified in every life we pray, Father. In each of our lives, be glorified. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.